Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away. The freedom of a people to choose its leaders is the root of liberty. Keep alive this experiment in liberty. Liberty, in case you've forgotten, is the soul's right to breathe. Government should be very minimal in protecting liberty. Peace cannot be purchased at the cost of liberty. The sturdy ground of liberty. Liberty once lost, it's lost forever. Fight for their liberty and for our security. Guarantees individual liberty. This great republic born alone in liberty. 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 Just how much do you want liberty? This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner, cutting through the double talk, taking on the topics, going after what the politicians really mean, and making it all clear. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. A reality TV show in the White House. What will Donald Trump think of next? And will he have to fend off a challenge from Oprah? Welcome back into Liberty Nation. And if you needed any more evidence of the unprecedented, off-the-books, off-the-charts political age we live in, this week provided it. Trump opens up a meeting with political leaders to cameras for almost an hour. We'll discuss his performance and the reaction to it. While Oprah makes a speech at the Golden Globes and is immediately heralded as a possible presidential candidate in 2020. The book Fire and Fury becomes the hottest topic in Washington. And one conservative never-Trumper finally says he's wrong. Stop the presses. We'll talk about all of it. We'll discuss an American tragedy, the sad tale of Cliven Bundy, with LibertyNation.com editor-in-chief Lisa Donner, and the lawsuits filed against the purveyors of the fake Trump dossier, Fusion GPS and BuzzFeed, and the potential of a libel suit against Michael Wolff, author of Fire and Fury, plus the major cases before the Supreme Court, when we're joined by LibertyNation.com legal affairs editor Scott Cosenza. Say what? Say what? Say what? One more time. But we got to start off with Say What, where we unveil some of the most wacky, astonishing, and damnable things uttered by politicians and the chattering class. And for many on the right, what President Trump said during his televised 55-minute meeting with congressional leaders about immigration were either damnable or confusing, as he seemed to support something contrary to what he's pushed for since he rode down that escalator at Trump Tower two and a half years ago, comprehensive immigration reform. The president saying he might fix DACA first before getting the wall he had insisted had to be part of the deal. He clarified the next day that a DACA fix which would legalize in some way the presence of hundreds of thousands of children who came here illegally with their parents when they were children, 
would have to be accompanied by building a wall and fixing the visa lottery and chain migration issues. But the president's hardcore supporters like Laura Ingram on Fox News said he better not blow this immigration issue. The president has to remain loyal to his supporters and to his agenda, the one he ran on, the one that won all that applause and rave reviews at all those rallies where people stood in line for hours in the cold. And he has to be willing to walk away, yes, walk away from a bad deal, just the way Reagan walked away from a bad deal with the Soviets at Reykjavik. But if the DACA problem is not fixed, what will happen to those 800,000 dreamers ranging from teenagers to 30-somethings? Well, leftist Senator Elizabeth Warren said on Fox News of all places that the situation is fast becoming untenable. We cannot say to 800,000 young people who right now are contributing to America, who right now we're hearing from their employers saying, don't get rid of these people. These are people we need in our economy. We cannot say to them, you will be deported from America. Well, they have about seven weeks to fix the DACA problem. But the woman who was suddenly all the rage around the D.C. swamp this week was Oprah. After she gave what leftists called a presidential quality speech at the Golden Globes last Sunday, vowing to fix the problem of sexual abuse in Hollywood. The new day is on the horizon when that new day finally dawns. It will be because of a lot of magnificent women and some pretty phenomenal men take us to the time when nobody ever has to say, me too. Okay, sure. Of course, the problem is that Oprah has long been a good buddy of one Harvey Weinstein and doubtless knew well of his sexual misconduct since everyone else in Hollywood did. The truth on that has been coming out for weeks now, as have the many pictures of Oprah buddying up to Mr. Weinstein, including one where she's kissing him on the cheek. But that didn't stop the weaselly little media analyst for CNN, Brian Stelter, from breathlessly reporting that Oprah is thinking about the running for president thing. Her speech at the Golden Globe seemed downright presidential. Maybe she's running for something. Well, according to two of her close friends, uh, she is actively thinking about running for president in 2020. Now, that doesn't mean she's made up her mind. I'm told she has not made up her mind, and it would seem a little bit premature to make any decision, given that we haven't even seen the midterm elections yet. But according to these two close friends, she is being urged by her inner circle to really take this seriously. Now, of course, some will say Oprah for president, seriously? But then that's what they said about Donald Trump. It would be a, a race of dueling billionaires. But the media got all fired up about another possible presidential contender for 2020, yet another billionaire, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, simply because Bloomberg gave the following answer to the question of whether he could run for president. Oh, I suppose you could. You have to be 35 years old. I'm over than that. You have to be a uh, citizen. I'm a citizen. Uh, I have to be born in America. I was. Uh, but I have no plans to run. No plans to run, which in political parlance means 
Bloomberg is thinking about it. He ran New York City as a Republican, but would almost certainly enter the presidential fray as a Democrat, given that virtually all his views are in alignment with the left. Meanwhile, the seemingly impossible happened in recent days. One of the most prominent never-Trump conservatives finally admitted he was wrong. National Review editor Rich Lowry, who published the infamous Against Trump edition of the one-time conservative flagship, said, All right, all right, Trump has done very well. I've been wrong about two things with this president. One, I thought we'd see really unorthodox policy and an unorthodox uh, approach to the agenda, whereas it's been an utterly conventional Republican agenda, with some exceptions. And on some things like energy, deregulation, uh, judges, um, uh, we really have seen like an A-plus agenda. Wow. Rich Lowry, a leader in the Never Trump movement, says Trump has advanced an A-plus agenda. So, does this mean other Never Trumpers are now free to follow suit and admit the obvious, that Trump has advanced the most conservative agenda since Ronald Reagan? Don't hold your breath. Listen to this one if you can stand it. The Washington Post's token, quote, conservative opinion writer, the whiny, shrill, perpetually annoying Jennifer Rubin, attacking congressional Republicans as traitorous for supporting President Trump. These people have really um, betrayed their country. They know the person sitting with the nuclear codes, with his finger literally on the button, as he keeps telling us, is unfit for the presidency, that he's mentally unfit, temperamentally unfit, and yet they kind of prop him out and push him up there and pretend that everything's okay and everything is not okay. That woman has the same lilt as Hillary Clinton. Everything's not okay. Forgetting, of course, the economy that's moved into high gear, the lowest unemployment rate of the century, an almost 40% bump in the stock market, generational tax reform, massive deregulation, the appointment of Neil Gorsuch and a bevy of conservative judges, the defeat of ISIS. Uh, Which of these things are okay to the never-Trumpers like Jennifer Rubin, who for years have pushed for those very things but now oppose Trump because he is morally inferior to them. These never-Trump conservatives have made self-aggrandizing, virtue-signaling moral superiority an art form. Quick break, and then we're back to discuss an American tragedy, the sad tale of Clive and Bundy, with LibertyNation.com editor-in-chief Lisa K. Donner. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. What we have heard here today has been a political spectacle. We elect these guys to run the country. They're just not doing a job. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. The Cliven Bundy case, an American tragedy. That was the headline in a widely popular story on LibertyNation.com this week, written by Editor-in-Chief Lisa K. Donner. No relation. Okay, she is. Here's what she wrote. Liberty-minded Americans should read the story of Cliven Bundy and shudder. 
it would be a B-rated made-for-TV movie with a bad plot if it weren't true. And Lisa joins us now. So, Lisa, this is the story of individual property rights and brute force employed by the federal government. Tell us what happened and why liberty-minded folks should be up in arms about it. Well, Tim, you've heard a lot of Second Amendment people talking about gun grabbers. This is a classic example of land grabbers. And in this case, the grabbers were the federal government. Uh, Basically, this is a confrontation between cattle rancher Clive and Bundy and law enforcement following a 21-year dispute in which the U.S. Bureau of Land Management, also known as the BLM, Uh, just kept after Bundy over and over. Finally, it reached a fever pitch in 2014, and that's when you had basically what's known as the Battle of Bunkerville or the Bunkerville standoff. Now, the Bunkerville standoff was a standoff between ranchers asserting their property rights and the federal government insisting that they take the land because why? Why did they want the land? Uh, Originally, it had something to do with the environment. I don't know if it had to do with a turtle or some kind of... Endangered species. Yeah, some kind of nonsense. But basically, it was one cattle rancher and a bunch of his supporters showed up on April 12, 2014. That started basically the Battle of Bunkerville. And his protesters showed up armed. And... um, yeah, in a way, it's good they did because uh, the federal government officials had just run amok. They killed some of uh, Bundy's cattle. They tased his sons. They kicked his dog. I mean, the abuse of the Bundys and their followers uh, at the hands of the federal government is really inexcusable. And Clive and Bundy himself wound up in jail. All right. So after the standoff, basically the federal government decided, well, we, we couldn't get this guy any other way, so let's throw the book at him. And, and they did throw the book at them. And there was a 51-page indictment, 16 counts returned, and then a trial ensued. Now, as the trial was going on, a federal whistleblower named Larry Wooten popped mm-hmm. up. And uh, he happened to record basically what these federal officials had called Bundy and these freedom-loving Americans. They called them retards, rednecks, douchebags, tractor face, idiots, on and on. They made fun of his Mormon religion. So finally, it gets in in uh, U.S. District in front of uh, U.S. District Court Judge Gloria Navarro, uh, and a mistrial is finally after two years declared. And then just this week, Navarro agreed that she would not uh, permit the re-prosecution of Bundy, and Bundy walked out a free man. So the entrance of the whistleblower from the Bureau of Land Management is what turned this case completely. Not really. What she said was it was the lack of the federal prosecutors not turning over evidence. But you have to believe that what the whistleblower found out had an impact on Navarro. Now, meantime, let, let me just say this. All is not over. 
Attorney Larry Clayman is talking about bringing suit on behalf of Bundy. Um, he contended that Navarro didn't dismiss this matter out of the goodness of her heart. It was like rats fleeing a sinking ship. But what Navarro said was extremely strong against prosecutors and against the FBI in particular. Uh, so he he believes this is yet the latest FBI scandal that Navarro believes, even though she didn't uh, come out and say it, that the FBI is lying and hiding evidence. And even the judge called uh, what they did outrageous. So I don't think it's over for the federal government. It's certainly over for Clive and Bundy. Well, now the, know, the the Department of Justice is going to get involved in this, yes? Yes. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has now called for an investigation into this matter. It's not over. Yeah, it, it is definitely not over. Let me just say, this really is an American tragedy. It is a, uh, a corrupt federal agency uh, using its power and force against the people. So what, in the end, Lisa, have we learned from the Bundy affair? Well, ultimately, justice was served in the Bundy case, but at what cost? Uh, basically, the underbelly of a powerful federal government seeking to make an American citizen bow to its wishes or else was exposed. Uh, it isn't a pretty sight. And um, I ended my article on LibertyNation.com with a quote from James Madison that I think is apropos the moment. Madison said, liberty may be endangered by the abuse of liberty, but also by the abuse of power. I think the federal government largely follows its leaders. For instance, uh, in the Elegant Gonzalez case, um, you know, armed federal officials broke into a house and carried this boy away back into the ever-loving hands of Fidel Castro. That was under Clinton. Under Obama, we had the IRS scandal, which was a nightmare. Clive and Bundy, you know, it was under several presidents. But, but I think the president sets the tone and the tenor mm -hmm. for the Justice Department. That's why the presidency really is very important. Well, you and I will never forget going in 2000 on Good Friday in Miami to a rally in support of Elian Gonzalez. And it was that very night that Attorney General Janet Reno ordered uh, federal authorities to... Guns ablaze. Guns ablaze to break down the door, go into the house, seize Elian Gonzalez, and send him back to the paradise that is communist Cuba. Thank you, Lisa. You're welcome. Lisa K. Donner, editor-in-chief of LibertyNation.com. Up next, Washington is all a Twitter about the Michael Wolf book, Fire and Fury. Of course they are, because it makes Donald Trump look like a dangerous, incompetent moron. We'll examine whether the claims in the book are real. Spoiler alert, they're not. And whether President Trump might consider suing the author. We'll be back. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. What we have heard here today has been a political spectacle. We elect these guys to run the country. They're just not doing their job. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner.
Well, in any normal political age, the recent book by Michael Wolff about the Trump White House would not create a firestorm. It would simply be laughed off as fictional trash you'd find in the discount section of a dollar store. But since many in the establishment media have now demonstrated afresh that they are willing to blindly gobble up whatever anti-Trump crumbs are fed to them and present this fiction as fact to the American people, any semblance of normalcy has long since been discarded. So allow me to address the most ridiculous of the tidal wave of falsehoods presented by Mr. Wolf. Yes, let's forget for a moment the multiple quotations in Fire and Fury and in Wolf's previous books that have been specifically disavowed by the people who supposedly said them. Forget the rank speculation that leads to so many of the book's assertions. Forget even the reckless disregard for the truth of the sensationalist author and his obvious, yet successful, attempt to lure in those afflicted with TDS— that's Trump derangement syndrome for the uninitiated, with rubbish that would make the National Enquirer blush in order to achieve the daily double of feeding his own hatred for the president and, of course, lining his own pockets. Yeah, let's forget those for a moment and instead focus on the single most spectacular claim that the author made in the book and then repeat it for emphasis in response to a question by Savannah Guthrie on NBC's Today Show. One of the overarching themes is that, according to your reporting, everyone around the president, senior advisors, family members, every single one of them, questions his intelligence and fitness for office. Let me, let me put a put a, a marker in the in the sand here. One hundred percent of the people around him. One hundred percent of the people around President Trump question his intelligence and fitness for office. Which, by extension, of course, means that Wolf considers the more than 60 million people who voted for Trump to actually be the idiotic deplorables Hillary Clinton called them. But before we analyze that incredible statement, let's take one step back and read you the mind-blowing section of the prologue written by the author. Here's what he wrote. Many of the accounts of what has happened in the Trump White House are in conflict with one another. Many in Trumpian fashion are boldly untrue. These conflicts and that looseness with the truth, if not with reality itself, are an elemental thread of the book. I mean, this is hard to believe. The author admits that many of the accounts he presents in the book are boldly untrue, and yet he writes them anyway and tries to say that's what he intended to do. He intended to publish all manner of accounts he knows to be unverified or outright false. Taking this rationale to its logical conclusion, let's do that for a moment. Any writer could simply write that the sky is falling because someone told him so and leave it to the readers to figure out if it's true. This, my friends, is what now passes for journalism. So, is it even possible that every single one, 100% of the people around Trump, as he calls it, which, by the way, includes his own family, according to Wolf, 
think him unfit to be president. Well, reducing this to a most basic level, even if you're gullible enough to believe the 100% claim, do you actually think Melania and the Trump children, not to mention the likes of General John Kelly, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, and Secretary of Defense James Mattis, would say that to a notorious yellow journalist like Mr. Wolf? I mean, it's beyond laughable. And yet, Wolf goes on TV and doubles down on what he wrote in the book. So Wolf is granting dozens of exclusive interviews to the lapdog establishment media and laughing all the way to the bank. Stephanie Rule said on MSNBC that even if it's not all true, the spirit of the book is. And CNN senior media correspondent Brian Stelter, for one, served his usual role of a useful idiot by applying the lowest possible standard of truth, saying the book, quote, rings true. Is this what journalism has become? If it feels good and feeds into your naked hatred of someone or something, then just go ahead and treat it as news and do so breathlessly on national TV. Even Stelter's Trump-hating colleague Jake Tapper responded with ringing true is not a journalistic standard. And just to punctuate the point about the cartoonish Mr. Stelter, even Maggie Haberman of the notoriously anti-Trump New York Times, a reporter with consistent access to the Trump White House, said several things in the book are untrue, and euphemistically called the book, quote, light in fact-checking and copy editing. On Fox News, resident liberal and Trump hater Shepard Smith spent much of his hour-long show last Friday hyping the 100% claim. And he was flummoxed when Chris Wallace, definitive establishment journalist, said he'd spoken with many members of the Trump administration on and off the record and had never once heard any of them say anything resembling what Wolf is claiming. So, what is a president to do? Well, for starters, condemn the book's prime messenger, Steve Bannon, who's now lost everything, his job in the White House and his position atop Breitbart News after leaking like a sieve and then criticizing Trump after he left the White House. But he went tell-all, and of course... Trump, as is his wont, employed the well-worn L word for the author Michael Wolf. Here's what Trump wrote in a tweet. Michael Wolf is a total loser who made up stories in order to sell this really boring and untruthful book. He used sloppy Steve Bannon, who cried when he got fired and begged for his job. Now sloppy Steve has been dumped like a dog by almost everyone. Too bad. Now, in a normal age, the president would likely have just let all this roll off his back. But this book proves just how abnormal a time this is. It should not be necessary for President Trump to even acknowledge this false and lurid hit piece. It should be likewise totally unnecessary for the president to sue Mr. Wolf for libel or defamation. 
But in considering how you might respond to similar allegations about you that get repeated to tens of millions of people, could you blame him if he does sue Mr. Wolf? We will examine the question of whether Trump would get anywhere by suing Michael Wolf and the present lawsuits by the president against Fusion GPS and BuzzFeed, plus the prominent cases before the Supreme Court. When we're joined by LibertyNation.com legal affairs editor Scott Cosenza next. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. And now we have reached the portion of Liberty Nation, which we entitle Talkin' Liberty. It is self-explanatory as we welcome in LibertyNation.com legal affairs editor and constitutional lawyer, mm. Scott Cosenza. Hello, Scott. Hello, Tim. Okay, in the last segment, we talked about uh, the Michael Wolf book, Fire and Fury, and mm-hmm. all the unsubstantiated claims, which he even admits in the book. He throws in all kinds of things, which he admits in the prologue are untrue. This, of course, has been trumpeted out to tens of millions of Americans. Does President Trump have a legitimate case against Wolf for libel or defamation? Both, neither? Explain. No. Um, and I don't know that I really like that word that used legitimate does he have a case that's going to be heard with a reasonable chance of success in an american courtroom i would say the answer to that question is no and the reason why tim is because in 1964 when the united states supreme court set forth the modern standards for we can use the word libel or slander in modern legal jurisprudence we call these things defamation this is the private crime or tort of defamation when we examine a defamation claim um, it has to be meet three factors. It has to be a false claim. It has to have caused harm and had been made without adequate research into the truthfulness of the statement. Now, that's for a regular person. That's to say Joe Smith is embezzling funds from where he works. Okay? Well, which of those things does does this book not? Well, which of those get, standards is not? I'm going to get to that. Okay? okay. So that's, okay. For, that's for Joe Smith okay. and his work at the widget company. Okay. Okay. Now, for public figures, there's an entirely different standard, and that's what was articulated in the Sullivan, in the Sullivan decision. For, pri- for public figures, it, you have to have actual malice, and I'll read from the decision. Proves that the statement was made with actual malice, that is, with knowledge that it was false or with reckless disregard of whether it was false or not. Now, there's one other definitional point to consider here. There are some people who are public figures generally, Madonna, Donald Trump, Barack Obama. And then there are some people that are public figures for a limited purpose. A guy who does well in AAA ball, for instance, is a public figure for the the, the farm team where he is, right? Uh-huh. I'm a public figure for constitutional uh, talking about these things on the on the radio show and the podcast and writing about them. But who I date is not a, a public uh, mm-hmm. issue like it is with Trump who parades, uh, you know, a bevy of uh, women in, in, you know, on red carpet events, for instance. So the question about whether or not this libel um hasn't has it let, let me interrupt you for just a second hasn't michael wolf demonstrated actual malice with the libelous using the term broadly things that he said about trump on top of a book in which he admits that so much of what he writes is untrue and he makes a statement that a hundred percent of the people around trump find him unfit to be president. Well, and, exaggeration and, uh, is not 
libelous or defamation. And how do you prove actual malice? <laughs> you don't. And that's why he's not going to be successful. Uh-huh. I mean, here's how you could prove it. If there was a guy sitting in a bar and in the back of the bar, Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer are there and saying, hey, here's a great lie I can make up about Donald Trump. I bet you it's really going to screw with his uh, reelection campaign. And the guy overhears it and then doesn't report on the lie that it was manufactured. But in other words, reports on it like an actual news story that, for instance, would be actual malice. Now, Tim, I read the letter that Trump's attorney sent to uh, the Holt publisher asking for them to cease and desist. And I can tell you that that letter was junk in the sense of um, there's a there's a good quote by a guy, a former federal prosecutor called Ken White, who is a. a writer at Popat, and he has a quote that I love. It's called, and he says, vagueness in defamation threats is a hallmark of meritless thuggery, which is to say that if I allege that you have defamed me, what I need to do to you, Tim, is to say, Tim, you are making this statement X, which asserts that I did Y. That is a lie, and you are defaming me. I demand that you stop it. I can't say, Tim, on your radio show last week, you said all kinds of lies about me. I want you to pull it off the air right now. No, no, no. That's too general. What is the specific defamatory statement that you wish? We don't have that from Mr. Trump um, in this case. Again, it's an 11-page letter. I slogged through it for the benefit of the show, and there is nothing there that points to an actual false statement that that, that Wolf made. So, absent that specific, seriously, yes, I mean, I am serious. I mean that that yes. so one, so he can say one hundred percent. Every single person around the president finds him unfit, can't prove it, doesn't have any quotes to show for it, but it's perfectly fine for him to write what he wrote and have that broadcast to tens of millions of people across the country. Is this, Let me, I mean, Tim, is this I might, fair? Is this fair? In 1964, writing for the unanimous Supreme Court, Justice Brennan quoted a Kansas court whose guidance they thought was instructive on the case. And it's perhaps a little long, but I think it's really good. And I would like to read it now okay, to you. Okay, good. It is of utmost consequence that the people should discuss the character and qualifications of candidate for their suffrages. The importance to the state and to society of such discussions is so vast and the advantages derived are so great that they more than counterbalance the inconvenience of private persons whose conduct may be involved and occasional inquiry to the reputations of individuals must yield to the public welfare. Although at times such injury may be great, the public benefit from publicity is so great and the chance of inquiry to private character so small that such that such discussions must be privileged so that's what the supreme court said unanimously in 1964 Mm -hmm. i don't see any reason why the supreme court now would deviate from that standard that is the current standard at law and that's why i believe tim that this complaint will not be successful let's talk about actual suits that are being filed by the president as a person not as the president well we have we have two suits that, that that have been filed by the president's attorney um, uh, is the attorney for the president or for Donald Trump? In other words, <laughs> so is it a personal suit? So, or right. So Mr. Michael Cohen, who has represented the president of the United States, he, who has represented Donald Trump before he became president of the United States, he himself, Mr. Cohen, was mentioned multiple times in the quote-unquote uh, Russian dossier. He is now suing BuzzFeed, and he being Mr. Cohen himself is suing on behalf of himself for being defamed by BuzzFeed and by Fusion GPS, commensurate with the publication of the Russian dossier. The Russian dossier, um, and I 
I read that again today, and it makes charges that Mr. Cohen is involved in some sort of cover-up and has been since prior to um, the inauguration regarding the Russiagate stuff. So the question then becomes, is Mr. Cohen a public figure? I think that he can be. He will be uh, regarded by the court Mm -hmm. as a public figure. We can be voluntary public figures and involuntary public figures. So, for instance... Um, I am a voluntary public figure when it comes to the discussion of constitutional legal issues. I've put myself out there. I join this program, and I discuss these things with you. Uh But let's say I was driving home tonight, and uh, uh, Donald Trump's motorcade was driving to the Trump golf course uh, in this area, and I got into a car accident with Donald Trump. Well— that's an, I would be an involuntary uh, public figure for the purpose uh-huh. of discussing that car accident. Right. I didn't wish to have it happen or right. wish to engage in the accident, but I'm in it now, right? Just like if you're uh, Monica Lewinsky's roommate, <laughs> okay, uh, you, you know, you may not have done anything, but you're a part of the story, perhaps. So anyway, so Mr. Cohen may be, even though he may say I'm not a voluntary public figure on this because he was Mr. Trump's attorney. He may be involuntarily looped in by the court as a public figure, then, Tim, triggering that mountainously high actual malice standard. And I don't approve of the BuzzFeed publication of that report, but I don't think that it amounts to actual malice based on my reading of the law. Okay, excellent summary. Let's move to the Supreme Court. we got a couple minutes left. Uh, three cases in particular, two of them relating to the Fourth Amendment, including one, Collins versus Virginia, a motorcyclist on high-speed maneuvers. Take us from there. Well, this time actually involves the search of that motorcycle when it was laid up against a house. A guy who was wanted by his local constabulatory for repeatedly beating them in high-speed chases. Uh, they thought he had stolen the bike, and they were stalking him. They wanted to get him. When, when, when he ran away from them, he was wearing a helmet, so they couldn't get an ID in order to arrest the person. So... They stalked who they suspected was the thief on social media, found the per- a house where the person had been storing a motorcycle, went to the house and saw up against the house along a driveway a motorcycle under a tarp or, uh, or cover leaning up against the house. Now, what people like me who believe that uh, the Fourth Amendment <laughs> should be robustly uh, <laughs> honored believe that what the police should do in that instance is apply for a judge to a search warrant to enter the property, which they did not have permission to enter, or gain permission, either one, and also a warrant to inspect that that motorcycle to see if it was, in fact, the stolen bike that they were looking for. They didn't do that. What they did was got out of their police cars, walked up, trespassed on the private property, lifted the tarp up, found a VIN number, ran it found that it was, in fact, a stolen bike and charged Mr. Collins with receiving the stolen property. So he says, you've got to throw out this search because it's totally violative of the Fourth Amendment protection. The police and the government say, well, because it's a vehicle, it falls under the vehicle exception to the Fourth Amendment, which was enacted into law in 1925, Tim, before police radios were even installed in police cars. You can imagine, I mean, the, the, the different world we have now. A cop on the side of a road with a car without even a radio. I hope that the court sees the light, <laughs> that, that this is not some sort of uh, exception need be made for the Fourth Amendment. The police have plenty of time to go get a warrant, and that's what they should have done here. Let's hope the court agrees. Okay, Scott, we'll do more stuff on the Supremes next week. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. A reminder, the podcast of this show 
Liberty Nation Radio, plus the LibertyNation.com podcast entitled The Uprising, are available for you at LibertyNation.com and from fine podcast providers everywhere. That is it for this week, but we'll be back at you next week. Same time, same station. Till then, this is Tim Donner saying stand up for liberty, and we'll see you next time on Liberty Nation. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.